Welcome to this special episode of Insights. I'm Daniel Williams. MGMA is committed to providing expert resources, solutions, and support to medical professionals as they navigate their healthcare journeys. And that hasn't changed with COVID-19 commanding so much attention around the industry and the world. We recently reached out to our member community to learn how everyday administrators and executives are dealing with coronavirus in their practices. We've been grateful for the responses we've received and are joined today by one member, Kelly Ladd, who took the time to write back despite her dual roles as administrator and advocate in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. Now, you're CEO and practice administrator at Piedmont Internal Medicine in Atlanta. Let's just define that organization. What's the size and scope of that practice? Our practice is internal medicine only, so it's adult medicine, um, ages over 18 and, and till geriatric. Our practice is made up of 11 physicians and five mid-level practitioners, and we have two locations, both within the Atlanta metro area. Okay. Now, you're an MGMA member. You've been in contact with our organization lately about COVID-19. When did you realize this coronavirus was something that we had to take a really serious look at, that it, it really wasn't like ordinary seasonal flu? My uh, warning antenna, if you will, went up uh, when the news reports came in that passengers coming in from China were being screened at Hartsfield International Airport for fever and potential signs of the coronavirus. Uh, Once um, that information became public, my first thought was, Jeannie's already out of the the bottle. Uh, If this virus has a seven to 14 day incubation period, which is what they thought at the time, then it's really not doing anyone any good to screen patients that are coming in with a fever. So that that really um, brought everything to my attention. And then as things started progressing, I was watching the, the outbreaks in, in China and then some of the other countries that it started coming to and knew it was just a matter of time before it came into the United States. So I would say maybe the second week of February, we started putting some some things together as far as what if, uh, you know, trying to uh, begin communication to patients, uh, figure out what to post on our, our website, figure out some internal protocol with screening patients, and uh, really just keeping an eye on what was going on with both the uh, World Health Organization and the CDC at that particular time. So we were just trying to get things as as ready as possible. Um, I was uh, director of physician operations at a hospital system here in Georgia when the Ebola crisis broke out. And so my immediate thought was, okay, you know, what, what did we do in preparation for potential Ebola patients coming into the doors? and began to implement uh, protocols, procedures on, on this type of scale for our office. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been 
just incredibly active. You have not just been looking at how, how this can affect you, your practice, but the residents of Georgia. You've really been taking an active role. Um, you've been communicating with MGMA officials, just trying to get information from us and share information that you're going through. Um, you wrote to us, uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, when you were asked about what you've been doing uh, in regards to this. You said, COVID-19 has pretty much taken over my life in the office lately. Um, talk, talk about that. What does your day-to-day look like? How has it changed in the wake of this outbreak? Well, the day-to-day outlook lately has really been scouring information from the CDC, the health department, uh, the World Health Organization. It has been contacting various vendors trying to get in personal protective equipment. Uh, There's been an incredible shortage of personal protective equipment, uh, trying to reach out to Uh, laboratories such as LabCorp and Quest to find out what their protocol is. Um, You know, things have been changing so rapidly with this virus. Uh, The most important thing is is communicating with our patients because we have patients calling in wanting to know, you know, what do I do? I may have been exposed uh, to, well, I, I don't think I've been exposed, but I have a fever and a cough. What should I do? And, um, you know, while there's good information that as far as prevention on the websites for the Department of Health in Georgia, as well as the uh, CDC, everything keeps pointing back to the physician office. And we are not equipped at the moment to adequately deal with this virus from a patient care standpoint. So my days have really been filled with trying to get information, trying to communicate information, uh, get together with other practices, uh, state officials, local officials, federal officials, and, and trying to figure out what direction do we need to go into. And so it's, um, it's very time consuming and it takes a lot of time, a lot of reading, a lot of phone calls, emails, and so um, my days, instead of maybe doing some financial analysis or reporting or analyzing fee schedules and, and other day-to-day operational things that I perform in a normal day have really had to be put on the back burner because I have 74 lives in my office and I have a panel of 40,000 patients that, uh, that you know we treat and I... I need to be their advocate. I need to to do whatever I can as the administrator to make sure that my physicians, my mid-levels, my frontline employees, and all of my patients are safe, let alone, you know, friends and families of patients and employees. Yeah. So that's really become my first priority. Yeah. Advocacy seems to have really taken center stage for you. You were telling me offline about all the phone calls you were making earlier today Walk us through that. I mean, what's who are you reaching out to? What's the kind of communication that you want to achieve? Right. So my communication actually started about two weeks ago when 
we began uh, trying to order personal protective equipment from our vendor and we were being told that it was on back order knowing that I had a limited supply so I started reaching out you know local listservs is anyone you know having this issue uh, the the other part of the advocacy was um, you know getting feedback from patients that they would call the CDC or the Georgia Department of Health and they would be telling the patient to call the physician office meanwhile in the physician office you know we were telling patients have you been in a country that was a level two or three uh, travel advisory from the CDC and if they said yes we would ask them you know are you symptomatic with fever cough or shortness of, of breath and uh, if they answered no to those questions then we recommended that they do a self quarantine of 14 days and if they became symptomatic to go ahead and um, we asked them to call us back so that we could either give them further instruction um, or contact the health department ourselves and get further instruction from the patient. Where the frustration started coming in and the outreach is uh, our patients would, would call and say, I've been exposed, what do I do now? And we would refer them to the CDC or the Department of Health whom would refer the patient back to our office. So I actually contacted the uh, CDC about two weeks ago and explained the problem that, okay, we have patients that fit the criteria, they're calling you, you're telling them to call us back. We don't have any way to test our patients. We don't know if we have enough PPE to test our patients. If we could, we don't know what to do. Please, please give us some direction in helping our patients. I was supposed to have received a phone call back and never got a phone call back. Um, I tried again calling the CDC and they then referred me the second time to the uh, Georgia Department of Health. I called uh, the Georgia Department of Health, explained to them exactly what I had explained to the CDC. You know, our patients need direction. We don't have the capability to test patients in our office or treat patients in our office. What do we do? Again, I was told that um, an epidemiologist would call me back. And uh, two weeks later, I'm still waiting for that phone mm -hmm. call. So when I... When I figured out that these two avenues were a dead end, I then contacted uh, the Medical Association of Georgia. I've been active in some of their advocacy and, and getting more involved uh, on the state level uh, for physician groups. And the uh, Medical Association of Georgia tried to send my concerns directly to um, I guess it's Dr. Toomey, who is the head of the Georgia Department of Health here in Georgia. And uh, it's been about a week, a little over a week, and they have not received a, a direct response to, uh, to our questions and our concerns. So from there, uh, I, I actually uh, did an interview with the Wall Street Journal, 
hoping to catch someone's attention in that, okay, you know, now we've moved from we, we don't have access to testing kits to, all right, now there is a horrible shortage in personal protective equipment for physician offices. Mm-hmm. It's now become a crisis for us, and we need help. Who do we turn to? Um, you know, a lot of dead end uh, avenues. So this week, I participated in a uh, town hall uh, meeting with my um, federal congressman, uh, Congressman Barry Lavermilk. Did leave a message after the uh, the town hall meeting uh, with him, and uh, has been in conversation with his office today and um, at first the first phone call I actually initiated and the uh, the person was trying to direct me back to local officials um, there and his local office and I actually needed to be a little bit more persistent because I, I just don't feel like some of these folks understand what's happening on the front lines of the physician office. They don't understand that we are not able to get basic protection, right. like surgical mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, gloves are on back order, and that you know we cannot do these tests. Uh, trying to explain to them that you know the media and our elected officials are on television saying, okay, you know we have a million tests going out to doctors. We have the CDC and the Georgia. Department of uh, Health telling patients, call your doctor, go to your doctor for this test. We don't have the test. And if we had the test, we can't perform the test because we don't have the proper safety equipment to do so. And so uh, thus far, um, I don't know if I, I have any huge momentum in getting the attention of some of our officials to help us out. But I sure am trying. Yeah, that is a powerful story, and thank you for your persistence with this. So, you're also you're communicating in that direction, but you're also having to go back and communicate to your patients. Um, talk about that. What is what is your mission, and what's your goal, and what you want to get across to them? I know that you sent out a, a really important letter to them on March 9th. Talk about that letter and the, and the kind of information that you posted in there uh, to those 40,000 patients. So what, we, what we've been doing is, is trying to keep our patients uh, calm and, and educated as best as we can uh, with, the, with the virus. So the, the memo that we, that we posted um, on our website for our patients is basically letting patients know that if you have any signs of the coronavirus, if you've traveled out of the country, uh, if you have been exposed to someone that has tested positive, please do not come into the office. Please stay at home and self-quarantine. Call us, let us know that you may have been exposed. And if your symptoms uh, become worse or if you actually develop symptoms, call us and you know we will see what we can do to direct you either to you know a a state facility that has the testing um, ability or 
you know, depending on if, it, if a patient starts getting, you know, very ill or in some type of uh, respiratory distress to get them to the emergency room where they can better handle uh, getting them the help that they need. Um, you know, we're also educating them through questions and answers, making sure that they're practicing all of the, the hand washing and, you know, keeping their distance from people and making sure that they are prepared. Uh, hygiene is important. Also educating them on, you know, having a mask, a surgical mask is good to keep germs in, but it will not keep germs out. Okay. So we're just trying to educate the public as much as we can uh, until we have some better direction and have the resources we need to where we can safely take care of these patients or test these patients in our offices. Okay. So it does seem that that staffing can be a huge issue for you considering that you have an incredible shortage of the equipment that you need. You already talked about that. You said it's at a crisis level. Um, How are you then staffing your office? How are you able to do that? And what's your protocol in place? So, so right now we are, we're fully staffed and at the moment we are business as usual. Uh, We still have patients that, have other illnesses aside from the uh, COVID-19. So we need to make sure that we are are treating our patients with other issues. We're still carrying on with our well visit. Uh, We are in the process of developing a contingency plan that would include uh, staggering schedules so that we see well patients in the morning uh, sick patients that don't have any type of respiratory issues uh, later in the day and then separating out those patients that have respiratory issues towards the end of the day. So that way, you know, we have different levels of how we can disinfect the office and try to limit potential exposure of um, the virus because now apparently it's in community spread. Uh, The contingency plan that we are in the process of putting together is um, to get our non-clinical personnel uh, the resources they need to work remotely, which would include being able to have access into our EMR and patient appointment system. We have contacted our uh, IT vendor. We're actually purchasing an app where our front office personnel that are not checking patients in, but the, but the people that are responsible for making appointments can actually work remotely and seamlessly through their cell phone through an app where if they, they call out to a patient, uh, Piedmont Internal Medicine's phone number would come up, or if a patient calls in, that app can direct uh, the phone queue to the next available person, and then um, our business office personnel would be working from home. Um, some of our telephone triage nurses also could have the ability to work remotely. And our thought is uh, with the cross training that we have implemented into our office over the past several years, that we can rotate some of our clinical staff in and out of the office as needed to try to uh, decrease their exposure to the virus as, as much as possible. And, um, you know, worst case scenario, uh, 
just do the best that we can with with what we have until this crisis comes to an end. Mm -hmm. And that may be that we're short-staffed. Wouldn't be the first time that I've had to go in and and walk patients back and triage patients, even though I'm not clinical. A lot of doctor's offices were, were used to thinking out of the box and finding resources in order to get the job done. And so we will find a way to get the job done safely and effectively. Yeah, what are you mentioned this app that you're implementing. What about telehealth? Are you developing anything or did you already have anything in place as far as communicating and having uh, some of those patients communicate with you through text or through different apps through their computers? So one of the one of the things that uh, with the computer system that we're on our electronic medical record system is uh, the Epic system. So we do have uh, e- secure email communication with our patients already. Uh, tomorrow I do have a meeting with a gentleman who is a vendor for its uh, home health its home health monitoring systems that would include some type of secure telehealth. Uh, we may not be able to have all of that deployed within the next couple of weeks, so um, we may have to look at some uh, some of the avenues such as Skyping or FaceTime. Um, I believe that CMS has been looking at maybe relaxing some of the, the HIPAA uh, type of language so to allow us to do this. Um, you know, we all want to respect our patients' privacy as much as possible, but during a time like this, I don't think we need to be as worried, much worried about patient privacy as we do helping our patients. So I'm hoping that uh, that will be becoming up. Um, the other thing that, that we're looking at doing is having um, secure webcams. So we do have a very secure network in our office. And we do have the ability to deploy some webcams if the patient has a webcam to get that face-to-face contact uh, between a provider and a patient. So nothing is off the table. Everything's on the table. And uh, I think we're just going to have to do a little more thinking outside the box. You know, telemedicine is is still in some ways in its infancy in in some parts of um, the country. My, none of my physicians have been huge fans of, of telemedicine because they like to lay hands on their patients. They feel like they're, you know, when they can do that, they're giving a more thorough exam. But uh, with all that's going on, we are, you know, we're seriously looking at and have been in communication with our IT um, vendor to figure out the best way to deploy this. Yeah. And, and then, What's the communication been like from your patients? What has been the increase in phone calls? Have you also had an increase in walk-ins? I mean, what has that been like? So we, we have had an increase in, in patients calling with concerns. Uh, you know, we've also had a, a few funny stories of, of patients wanting us to uh, write a letter to their cruise line trying to uh, get their money back. And... Uh, Unfortunately, our stances were sorry. You know, that's between yeah. you and the cruise lines. We're not. We're not <laughs> able to do that for you. Right. We have other things to worry about. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I really think that the the bulk of the questions are, you know, I know somebody 
who tested positive or, you know, my daughter's friend's aunt tested positive, you know, what are the chances of me getting the coronavirus and, and you know, questions such as that, or I, I have a persistent cough. And so we've, we have had an uptick in those calls. And again, what we've been doing is implementing our internal protocols in, in screening patients and trying to ease their minds that, you know, okay, we understand that, you know, you've had a cough and a runny nose. Chances are you just had the cold, uh, you know, come on, you know, let's come in and, and check you out. Um, some of the more of the serious type patients where they may be starting to show signs um, or questionable signs of, of the virus. We've, again, been directing them to the Department of Health, but also letting them know that, you know, we, we don't have an avenue to test yet, but let's keep an eye on you. Please, you know, call us every day, <clears throat> send us an email through my chart, and let's just make sure that your symptoms aren't getting any worse or you're not developing symptoms that we can try to direct them as best as we can. Uh, you know, we've had a, a few patients get a little irate with us because we don't have the test and they don't understand why we can't test them. And then they don't understand uh, the issue with the, the shortage of the PPE. Okay. Um, now, you've been on the front line. You've been having a very strong advocacy voice in this, but for other practices, what are just some of those first steps that you would advise them? What should they be doing if, if they're not already doing it? I think that really the first step is that most practices have some type of, it, well, they either have a website or they have a way to communicate to their patients. So I think it's very important that we give patients the facts about the virus uh, that, that we're educating our patients on hand hygiene and, you know, coughing or sneezing into a clean tissue or into your elbow and then washing your hands. You know, maybe not shaking hands, just, you know, a polite hello or greeting with someone else. Um, hand washing, hand washing, hand washing um, is, is critical. So really getting the word out using the tools that the CDC and the uh, state health departments have on preventing illness and then making sure that they are following uh, the CDC guidelines and, and posting those. I think communication and knowing and, and getting out the word to your patients that we're honest, you know, we want you to be safe. We want to be here for you. We're, we're here as, as your advocates and trying to, to keep you healthy uh, and having two-way dialogues with the patient. Um, I think that's, that's so critical. And then, of course, you know, also having transparency with the patient. You know, we don't want to turn our patients away because we can't test them for the virus at the moment. So we want our patients to check our website and make sure that they're up to date with what we can and cannot do. Um, and I think our patients really... People appreciate honesty and transparency. And so, you know, the communication is key. Website, we are draft, currently drafting a, a short 
uh, communication to our patients uh, that really mirror what we've put on our website and we will be using our appointment uh, scheduling confirmation system that we do via text message and we'll be sending out a text to our patients. So any way they can get communication to their patients, whether it's we have, you know, we have, we're able to do the testing, we have the PPE, um, we have the test, you know, here's how you need to go about it, or, you know, we don't have the test yet, so please stay at home, follow, follow these directions. If you get sick, call us and, and we'll do everything that we can to help. Yeah. Uh, final thought here, uh, short of just having this go away, um, what would you like to see take place as, as soon as possible? What would you like to achieve and, and see implemented uh, throughout practices? What I'd like to see is I'd, I would really, let me, let me backtrack that for sure. a second because there's, there's kind of a, there's a, a double side to this question okay so from from an administrator perspective advocate perspective I'm having a hard time understanding why our our state and federal government are not setting up strategic testing stations so to speak where people can be in you know hazmat gear protective gear uh, and have the tests available so people can basically drive through get tested and then the decision tree go from there on a more of a, a, a facilitated organized level so that that's a frustration I don't understand why we're not doing that um, you know in the second thing on my wish list is just to get some answers on, you know, what, where is the PPE that is being produced? Number one, where is it coming from? And can someone give us more information on estimated deliveries? Most of the PPE has been produced in China in the past. Uh, we, we know that some of that's being produced here in the United States, but it's very frustrating not knowing you know, when is delivery going to take place? Is there a pecking order, so to speak, of of who's getting what first? Uh, to me, it seems that if people are going to put the doctors and the doctor's offices on, on the front line in, in testing the virus, that people need to make sure we have the resources to do so. You know, I kind of equate it to, you know, if we're going to war and the and the Marines land, are you going? Would you send the Marines in without a gun? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no. So, so you know, you, if you're going to put us doctors on the front line, you you have to be able to make sure that that we have the resources and the equipment that we need to get the job done. And and that's that's what I want. I want us to be able to help our patients and and get the job done. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for your tireless work and your persistence in fighting this battle. And thanks for sharing these stories and your uh, protocols with us today. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me to participate. I, I appreciate you allowing me to get our voices heard. Absolutely. 
That's going to do it for this special episode of the Insights Podcast. Keep an eye out for more in this series as we talk with other healthcare professionals guiding their practices through this crisis. To keep up with the latest, be sure to visit the MGMA COVID-19 Action Center at mgma.com COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.